Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Facebook. Today is Monday, October 26th. Stocks are way down, COVID infections are way up, and we're focused on the art and business of political polling. We are now just eight days away from the election, and it's not just the candidates whose futures will be determined by the results. It also could be make or break for political pollsters, four years after wrongly predicting a Hillary Clinton presidency. Here's how veteran Republican pollster Frank Luntz summed it up recently to Fox News. If Donald Trump surprises people, if, if, if Joe Biden's got a five or six point lead and then Donald Trump wins, my profession is done. Two things to know. First, the pollsters' national miss on Hillary Clinton wasn't as big as a lot of us remember it being. As 538 editor-in-chief Nate Silver later noted, the final national result was within the normal rate of accuracy. The trouble was really more in certain state polling, particularly some of those so-called blue wall states like Michigan and Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, where the mistakes were more pronounced and more consequential. Two, many pollsters believe they learned their lessons from 2016, so have reworked their modeling accordingly, particularly things like reweighting on educational attainment. In other words, they believe that the Biden leads they're projecting now are more likely to hold. The bottom line is that Biden is the front runner because the polls say he's the front runner, and the pollsters may now need Biden to win as much as the Democrats do. In 15 seconds, we'll dig deeper with Harry Enton, formerly of 538 and now with CNN Politics. But first, this. We're joined now by CNN Politics senior writer and analyst Harry Enton. So, Harry, let's start just by going back to 2016. What's the basic explanation for how pollsters miss the Trump vote in those so-called blue wall states? Sure. You know, back in 2016, I think there are essentially a few things to keep in mind. Number one, the polls didn't poll until the very last minute. I think you're going to see a lot more pollsters poll until the last minute this year. Two, there were a lot of pollsters who didn't wait by college education. Traditionally, the divide of educational vote was not so great that other factors that pollsters have traditionally waited for didn't take that into account. But with Trump, obviously, non-college whites and college-educated whites had such differences in their voting patterns that the lack of waiting by education made a huge difference. Three, to be perfectly honest, maybe there was some factor of some Republicans who just weren't picking up the phone when pollsters were calling, but it wasn't just a Trump-specific phenomenon. And it should be noted that, you know, it wasn't just a Trump-specific phenomenon where the Republicans were underestimated. You also saw it on the Senate level as well, whether it be a Marco Rubio in Florida or a Pat Toomey who was running in Pennsylvania. So, okay, fast forward four years to now, particularly when it comes to things like the educational attainment issue, do you believe pollsters have adequately corrected for it? They have, but certainly the educational attainment issue. I mean, pretty much all the pollsters that are worth listening to now wait by education. So I think the problem isn't nearly as bad, but of course, we'll have to wait and see. You said the polls that are worth listening to, worth looking at. For a layperson, you know, who sees on 538 or on Real Clear, you know, sees so many polls, particularly this week and, and the upcoming week, how should somebody view which polls they should listen to and which polls they shouldn't? Yeah, I mean, look, sites like a 538 or a Real Clear Politics, specifically a 538, will basically throw all the polls on the website that you can see them and then will wait by a number of factors, including a past accuracy and as well as what I would call the higher quality polls, which at least on the state level, live interview polls and whether or not they are transparent about their methods. But if you're just a lay person, you're just looking all of this data and trying to figure it out, right? 
I would say if you've heard of the place that is doing the poll, that is probably the smartest thing you can do, right? You have heard of the New York Times. The New York Times tends to do some pretty decent polls. You have heard of ABC News, Washington Post. That place tends to do a pretty decent poll. You have heard of CNN. We tend to do pretty decent polls. If you haven't heard of the outfit, then chances are there's a higher likelihood that you shouldn't necessarily be listening to it all. That rule doesn't work completely across the board, but it's at least a decent place to start. Let's get into the weeds a little bit. Can you explain how this term herding works within polls, kind of what it is and why we should be watching out for it? Sure. So herding is essentially the idea that some pollsters are going to put their thumb on the scale because they see where the average poll is and they don't want to be an outlier. So they kind of move towards the average. And oftentimes you see this at the end where maybe there were more outlier results, say, two, three months from the election day. But then in the final two or three weeks, all of a sudden the results start to converge upon each other. And that's, quote unquote, good for an individual pollster in the sense that their polls may end up being more accurate, but it's not good practice. And more than that, it makes the average of the polls less accurate. So herding is something we have seen potentially in the last few cycles. In all honesty, at least up until this week, I've seen less of it this cycle, which is a good thing because it makes the average more accurate. You talked earlier about kind of one of the issues in 2016 was time and when the polls were being done. Has that been improved this time around? And are there certain states that you feel need a longer term polling average to really get a sense of? In other words, not just a couple of weeks, but a couple of months. I think that a lot of pollsters, remember, the media companies that were hiring out the pollsters kind of set their schedules ahead of time, right? So they kind of pulled out of the field in these key Great Lake battleground states. So you didn't have a lot of data up until the very last minute, which was a big problem because Donald Trump was surging in the final week or two of that campaign. I don't think that you're going to see that issue this particular time around because I think, you know, a lot of folks just remember 2016, they'll go into the last minute. In terms of harder to reach samples, I think you're going to, at least so far, I've seen sort of a mix, right, of some polls that are in the field two, three, four days and other polls that are in the field one, two weeks. And that's a good mix to have because sometimes some of those respondents who are more difficult to reach may differ in their partisanship from those who are easier to reach. So I think the problem has mostly been solved, but I can't guarantee it, right? Let's just see if there are any polls that drop in the final week of the campaign to make sure that we do, in fact, have a good mix of those pollsters who are going in the field very quickly because they want to catch any last minute drops, as well as those who have been in the field potentially for a longer period of time and getting to those harder reach respondents. Harry, campaigns themselves obviously do their own polling, their own internal polling. Generally speaking, is the internal polling more accurate than the public polling? I mean, the internal polling has a different purpose than the public polling insofar as that the internal polling is not just to figure out who's ahead in the horse race, but also message testing. And we should note, right, that the internal polls, they're spending a lot of money on those. So if they are interested in a good horse race number, that they can be more accurate than the public numbers because they're A, polling a lot of folks, B, they're doing it consistently. So, you know, you talk about a margin of error. If you're polling more folks, your margin of error tends to shrink. You know if something's an outlier or not. But the key thing for the audience to understand is any internal polling that's being released out there to the public is not going to give you a true sense of what the campaign is usually seeing because campaigns tend to only release those numbers that are best for their side. It's not always the case, but oftentimes the results that are released will be biased to be more favorable towards the candidate who's sponsoring the poll or the group that's sponsoring the poll. Harry, you probably heard Frank Luntz last week make the comment that if the polls are way off in 2020, namely if President Trump wins, that polling as an industry is finished. Is he right? No, I don't think he's right. Part of this 
of course, is what happens in the final week of polls, right? If all of a sudden, you know, Trump were to win, but then the final polls captured it, then I think that that would be perfectly fine, right? Races move sometimes. Polls are just a snapshot in time. If, in fact, the final polls do indicate that Joe Biden is a heavy favorite and Trump ends up winning, I think then that might take a moment of reflection. But I'm not sure exactly where that dividing line is, right? It should be pointed out that in 2016, although the final polls on the state level were less accurate than average, they still were more accurate than the least accurate year of all time, for instance, in 1980, where the state level polls were even worse off. So let's see where those final polls are. Let's see then compare the results to those final polls. And then I think we can have that discussion. Though, obviously, we would rather in the polling community, whether they be forecasters, analysts, or the pollsters themselves, that the polls be closer to the truth than they were in 2016. Harry, final question for you. There are, as I said, there seem to be dozens of polls that are being released every day. Over the last few days, what's the most interesting thing you have seen in a poll? I think the most interesting thing I've seen in the poll is basically the same thing that I've seen this entire year is just how stable the gosh darn race is. You know, we had two debates. The first debate, you saw Trump's numbers drop a little bit, Biden's rise a little bit. But in reality, it was a two or three point shift at most. In most years, that would be spoken about as noise. And this year, so far, after the final debate, there was pretty much no movement at all. And that is just amazing of just how stable this race has been, given that historically presidential races can move around. That just hasn't been the case. And if the stability holds, Joe Biden is going to be the beneficiary of it. Harry Anton, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back. What we're watching today are the soaring rates of COVID-19 infections and hospitalizations in the U.S., with over 80,000 new cases reported on both Friday and Saturday. More worrying? The positivity rate increase is far outpacing the increase in testing, and the seven-day infection average just hit an all-time high. The bottom line, we are turning a corner, but not the one President Trump thinks we're turning. We're also watching Ant Group the Chinese fintech giant that today disclosed details of what's expected to be the largest IPO of all time. The filing suggests that Ant will try to raise nearly $35 billion at a valuation north of $300 billion, with Alibaba investing to maintain its one-third stake. Shares would be listed in Hong Kong and Shanghai, but not in New York, a major geopolitical snub we devoted an entire episode to back in August. And finally today, Dunkin' Donuts is in talks to be taken private by something called Inspire Brand, the private equity-backed owner of Arby's, Buffalo Wild Wings, and Jimmy John's. The deal could be worth nearly $9 billion, but it isn't yet clear if you'll ever be able to order an Arby's roast beef on a chocolate frosted. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national pumpkin day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.